Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Mike Wise Show has been renamed because Twitter banned our previous name, The Wise Ass Show. It was deemed too profane for Twitter. For real. Think about that. Banned by Twitter. Who knew Mike was such a threat to society? I've applied for reinstatement, Darlene. As usual, it didn't work. I'm Mike Wise. On the show this week, Jason Whitlock discusses the meaning of LeBron James and whether or not one of basketball's most polarizing figure is his version of Muhammad Ali. Uh, Spoiler alert, not... (laughs) Next on The Mike Wise Show. Take it away, Darlene! The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? The Mike Wise Show, formerly The Wise-Ass Show, is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. This is one of three shows we're currently presenting with a fourth coming on April 11th. In addition to my show, we have Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozloff and Adam Stanko every Wednesday, and the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman each Friday. And starting on April 11th, we'll be presenting Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. And I'm sounding like a tractor pull guy at the fairgrounds. Anyway, Monica joins us later in this show to tell you more. Please subscribe, download, listen, rate, review, and enjoy. I think you'll like it. One of my, one of my podcasting mentors, just listening to him, was Jason Whitlock, who had a podcast called Real Talk, I'm sure it will reappear at some point, but he's been busy as the host of Speak for Yourself with uh, Marcellus Wiley, and he's also been busy, shoot, I I don't know, uh, tearing LeBron a hole in his head. How are you, Jason? I'm very good, Mike. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, in full disclosure, Jason Whitlock is a longtime friend. I usually don't admit that to anybody but my wife, but I have... (laughs) And, and I also want to say that um, he gave me uh, – not only have we spoken and uh, talked about big ideas over the years, but he did, in fact, reach out and hire me at the Undefeated, taking me away from the Washington Post, probably the greatest decision career-wise in my life. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Jason Whitlock, uh, you, you have gotten up early in California to talk to us today. And without further ado, I think everybody knows your background. If you could just go over it real quickly. You're born in Indianapolis. Um, born, born in Indianapolis. Warren Central High School. Warren uh, Central played. High School football powerhouse. Played with Jeff George. Yep. Went on a football scholarship to Ball State University. 
studied journalism, uh, graduated in 1990, first job at the Bloomington Herald Times, then the Charlotte Observer, then the Ann Arbor News covering the Fab Five. And then in 1994, I got a columnist job at the age of 26, 27 years old at the Kansas City, at the Kansas City Star, uh, and spent 16 years in Kansas City uh, as a columnist and made a national name for myself and got opportunities to appear on the sports reporters when Dick Schapp was the host, um, and then got into talk radio and uh, writing for ESPN, eventually moving to Fox Sports, and then going back to ESPN to uh, lead the undefeated. And then, obviously, <laughs> we can talk talk about what happened at, uh, the undefe- at the undefeated in ESPN, and then came back to Fox in 2015 uh, to host a television show, first with Colin Cowherd, called Speak for Yourself, and here in the last seven months, Marcellus Wiley has replaced Colin Cowherd on Speak for Yourself, and so I do it with Marcellus daily, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 <laughs> Pacific. Yeah, I, uh, you know, not just because I've known Jason for many years, but I, you know, trying to break into television myself at the ripe age of 55, I, I occasionally uh, try and enjoy it. I, I'll say this straight off the bat. We, when we were at the undefeated together and you would come up with a playbook uh, for the site, which was mocked widely. But if anybody actually took the time to look at it, there were some really big ambitious ideas and thoughts in there. And I want to read before we go into who I think is probably the most topical person in America for basketball right now, irrespective of the fact that his team's not going to the playoffs, LeBron James. I remember you had this content portion and I even pulled it up last night just to look at it and it said, it said, what for the LeBron project may launch in fall 2015. The site will take the position that LeBron James is no longer in pursuit of Michael Jordan's status as the greatest basketball player of all time. LeBron's target is bigger. He is pursuing Muhammad Ali, arguably the most influential athlete of the 20th century. James's move back to Cleveland is about empowering his inner circle to execute their business and charitable interests and LeBron's vision of being a global role model. As a site, we want to be the source on LeBron James, the man. We want to assign a reporter to live in Akron and cover LeBron James, Inc. This will be the site's signature sports project. The reporter assigned to this project will be supported by an editor and Jason Whitlock, who has relatively close ties with Maverick Carter, Rich Paul, and others within James' inner circle. Do you still have close ties with those people? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I see Magic occasionally in Las yeah. Vegas or out socializing, but I, I'm not as close to those guys as I was then. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Mike, reading that or hearing you read that, uh, I, wow, uh, I, LeBron James, the undefeated, everything's gone in a, a different direction than perhaps what I anticipated. Because uh, the undefeated, you know, we never did assign a reporter there. Obviously, I got removed from the site and it went a different direction. But when I think about what the vision for the undefeated was, you know, to be uh, the place where black journalists controlled the narrative or uh, were the lead on the narrative about some of the most prominent athletes 
in sports and particularly on LeBron James. Uh, I, I hear you read that and I just go, wow. Uh, I think differently about LeBron James and clearly I think the undefeated thinks differently about LeBron James because, uh, you know, and I don't say this, I say this as an observation, not as a criticism, but maybe it is a criticism, but I just, the undefeated has virtually no voice as it relates to LeBron James. Well, I would agree. I would disagree with you. There is a headline from, I want to say, uh, Mark Spears wrote it November 19, 2018. The headline is LeBron and his friends are telling their story for the first time. A new series on ESPN plus documents this journey of LeBron and his partners. See that see that we see there my my old job has covered it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that, but uh... <laughs> but my, I, I know what you're saying. There is LeBron James, for all intents and purposes, has gone into business with ESPN, just as Michael Jordan has with his Netflix special that'll come back next year. And this is sorry, Kobe as well. This is par for the course, um, but. I think the part I really agree with you with is um, I think and not just the undefeated, but every every journalism uh, entity that has any uh, what I call chops and resources um, in this country, it, you feel like there hasn't been a real serious uh, not criticism, but uh, a, a general analysis. looking at analysis of who who he is and what it's become. Just personally, I when I read that part from you know the, the book about what LeBron did was there a fork in the road for you personally where because I've watched speak for yourself and if you had told me the same person would be you know putting together a four-minute monologue that starts out LeBron James has won a gold medal of the victimhood Olympics I would think what who is this guy and I'm wondering personally like for you where was there a uh, a what I call fork in the road or was there a moment where you go wait a minute this isn't the guy I thought we were covering because in many ways, I'm, I'm not a, I don't know if I'm a LeBron James fan basketball as much as I am the promise foundation. He's sending all these kids to school. I, I have a hard time um, being as critical, but you, you have, you have some very thoughtful reasons about it. And I'd like to hear them. Well, I think that LeBron is executing his vision for, pursuing Muhammad Ali, I just think uh, it's not a vision that I can embrace or support his execution of trying to be the next Muhammad Ali. Uh, and and I think, and when I say can't support that, that's probably too strong, but, but I think it needs to be analyzed and because I do think LeBron thinks he's pursuing Muhammad Ali's legacy. And I think the people close to him are telling him that he's pursuing Muhammad Ali's legacy. And I just think there's a lot of disparity between he and Muhammad Ali. And just at the foundation of it is that LeBron has no religious connection. And, you know, and so first of all, you have to understand who Muhammad Ali was, what he represented, what he was connected to, who was controlling his vision uh, when he was in his prime. And that was the nation of Islam. And uh, whether we like it or not, that was Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X and his connection uh, to that religious organization 
that was at the foundation of virtually everything Muhammad Ali did. LeBron has no religious connection. It, it's a very secular pursuit of Muhammad Ali. I think that's worthy of exploration. How does that manifest itself in a different way? I, I got to think that he has some, uh, if not a religious foundation, that he has some religious beliefs. I don't necessarily think that a guy has to subscribe to uh, the Nation of Islam, the you know, Judaism, Judaism um, Christianity, to make a difference in the world. I look, I get what you're saying about uh, being uh, you know, in these times, being much more pithy, snarky, uh, going off on somebody instead of having a real conversation about it. But I also saw LeBron James as the guy who like put on a put on a bunch of hoods with the uh, you know, hoodies with the Miami Heat, when which what I thought was like almost the start of the modern renaissance of social conscience among athletes in protesting the Trayvon Martin killing when he was with the Heat and all the and all his teammates got with him and you know the I can't breathe shirts um, th these things I don't know I I they I felt like they triggered a part of uh, whatever social conscience in a lot of people who were afraid to go there because they weren't LeBron James. I, I'm going to say this. I don't think that my argument isn't that you have to have a strong religious connection or you have to, you know, be out standing on your religious foundation in order to make a difference. But again, if and this is the Whitlock narrative of <laughs> LeBron. You, I've never, this is shocking. Le, I've never heard the Whitlock narrative yeah, before. Go LeBron ahead. is attempting to be the Muhammad Ali of this generation. And so I'm evaluating him through those eyes and just explore. Now, again, he can go about it in a secular way, but I think it's worth pointing out that Muhammad Ali didn't. And I think if you like understood like Jackie Robinson's uh, time in Major League Baseball and breaking the color barrier and how religion was at the foundation of what he was able to endure and why he chose the path and the turn the other cheek path and all the things. Religion was at the foundation. And so I see a lot of athletes and a lot of people thinking that in 2018, 2019, uh, we're looking at athletes mimic what they saw in the 1950s and 60s. And what I'm saying is, no, they're, they're doing a very secular non-religious version of what we saw in the 50s and 60s. And there is a difference. When you're, again, when you're a religious person and an authentic one, and if you go look at Dr. King and, and you go look, and again, there's contradicted by Muhammad Ali, but his religion called for that. But but again, the Christian, Catholicism, what their approach is, you don't demonize people as evil. And you don't, uh, you know, you don't have, you don't practice in demagoguery of other people. Now, does the nation of Islam? Absolutely. And was Muhammad Ali part of that and reflected that? Absolutely. But that was their religion called for that. I'm saying we're looking at athletes today, LeBron being the leader, they're doing a very secular, they're just, to me, what we're seeing is a left-wing version of Trump. 
that, that's, there's virtually no, no so difference they're, they're, between they're, the two. They're practicing advocacy journalism just as much as uh, Fox News or, or MSNBC on the left and right. The truth has saying. nothing to do with what they're doing. And yeah. just following the truth wherever it leads or – again, it's, it's, it's a very secular approach that is devoid, in my opinion, of a lot of substance. We're crediting guys with wearing T-shirts. And again, all I see it is as the left-wing version of Trump's Twitter feed. Trump's on the, you know, I don't, Trump's on the Republican side. I hate to even say he's on the right side because I don't know if Trump really has an ideology, but he represents conservatives and the Republicans. He has a very uh, non-substantive way of communicating his point of view. That's what I see on the left from the athletes. That's what I, I get. People get very upset with me when I say that uh, there's a privilege to being a great athlete, an amazing privilege. And once people discover that athletic scissor menu, that pot of gold that comes with being an athlete, you get treated no differently than Trump was as a child. And so uh, people have gotten very upset with me when I say, look, man, LeBron James is just a different version of Donald Trump. He was born with athletic privilege. Around the age of 10 or 11, people discovered it and started treating him in a very privileged fashion to the point he was driving a Hummer yeah. when he was in high school. LeBron, now, again, was uh, okay, LeBron? But, 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 but his environment, I mean, the where, where he came from was you know, like, like the idea of we're, we're analogizing a guy that was uh, had a silver spoon in his mouth from birth to a guy Not that had – Donald but. Trump? No, I'm talking oh, no, about no, Donald I'm Trump. Right, Donald, yeah, we're Trump, analogizing yeah. a guy, Donald Trump, who had a silver spoon in his mouth from birth, and he was never had to worry about a meal in his life to a guy who didn't have parents. Uh, his mom was sort of uh, out of the picture and uh, going through her own addiction issues. A guy who never met his father. I mean, I, I'm not going to give him all the credit in the world, but I'm going to say I've been to the housing project where he grew up, and I, I can't – that part of me is like the part that everybody forgets about LeBron James. He had no family. A family around him raised him. Yes, his basketball gifts uh, put him into that world. But I, I just look where the guy came from, and still, it, it, part of it blows Mike, me away. Mike, Mike, and and I know many people that come from that kind of struggle. I, I'll say this, and I'm not analogizing myself to LeBron James, but my senior year of high school, me and my father lived in a one-bedroom, 400-square-foot apartment. Uh, in the ghetto, and my dad made $225 a week, and we were poor, living in a 400-square-foot apartment, one-bedroom apartment. Do If you think that today that experience defines my perspective when you consider the way I've lived the last 30 years, uh, a life of privilege, again, I think we overestimate uh, like, oh, my God, someone was poor when they were a kid. Therefore, they have this point no. of view I'm, that, that is immune from privilege, and it's just not no, the case. Well, that's not my point. My point is Donald Trump and and, and LeBron James came from decidedly different backgrounds. They so did. One, one, was white and one, was, one was white and one was black. And, uh, and, and, that's, and I got to say, I, to this day, I have never seen – uh, Donald Trump come out and say 
that uh, that it, that he had the word that he had the N word or for that matter the C word cracker spelled on his front gate. I mean, I like I just think it's a different world, you know. It's just, I, Mike, I, I do. Think and I understand. It's a the, world. I understand politically what you're talking about, where the people mm-hmm. are going politically, and how how LeBron James has demonized Donald Trump just as Donald Trump has demonized him. But the other part of it, it just it, I have a hard time with the logic. Mike, do you believe that there's a privilege that goes along with being in that great athlete? But can you can you repeat that again? I just lost. Do you believe second. there's privilege that goes along with being a great athlete? Yeah, if you if you're good enough to have agents in American you. society, the way you get treated if you're a great athlete, there, there's a privilege that goes along with that. I was a good athlete in high school, and there was so much privilege granted to me as opposed to the non-athletes growing up. Again, you all had, I'm talking about is privilege. Are you saying Warren? Talk, are you me? saying Warren Central High School had groupies? No, I'm saying that uh, my senior year of high school, I didn't attend very many classes. Okay. I, I'm saying I was so popular, and teachers liked me so much. Led my team to a state championship. I got treated in a way others didn't. There's a privilege. That's all I'm arguing. I'm not arguing whether Donald Trump's ever been called the N-word. That, that's not what I'm arguing. No. I'm arguing whether privilege works the same no matter who experiences it. You go back in the 1960s, Muhammad Ali still dealt with laws and some segregation in the South. He's from Louisville. That, that, that was written into America's laws at that time. And and yeah. the, you know that's a completely different construct than what LeBron and and half billionaire athletes experience now. That they are virtually completely removed. They live in gated communities, twenty million dollar mansions in Brentwood. The the great mass of black athletes in the fifties and sixties weren't as disconnected from the working class black people as the athletes are today. I, that's fair. That that's definitely fair. I also I'm one of the things I I res, um, remember reading as well in what I thought was one of the great columns you ever read. Writ wrote was uh, uh, why blacks folk why black folks can't breathe, and I thought this was great. Um, you said the examples of this collateral damage are littered throughout the sports world and our entire society. Derek Rose and Reggie Bush, who donned I Can't Breathe t-shirts supporting Eric Garner's family, can see, feel, and testify for what we in the media have ignored for too long. Yeah, they realize the so-called American dream, but many of the people they love uh, have not. And so I, I guess what I'm getting at is, 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 is the sea change LeBron James and other people like him going off the rails and not realizing what Johnny, John Carlos and Tommy Smith and others were? Or as part of the sea change, Jason Whitlock has made a conscious decision that these guys aren't following what they used to follow or what they believed. Mm. Look, I guess, Mike, I would say, and you may have to restate the question because I may have misunderstood it. For me, I'll just speak to the question I think about me and what my point of view is. I, I'm a... When I talk about LeBron, I'm trying to be a journalist. 
and I'm trying to explore what he means, what he represents, how did we get here, how is he different than athletes from the past, is this a better direction, is this being executed at a high level that will lead to some kind of substantive change and improvement of in America. I think everybody else just makes the assumption whatever LeBron's doing is good, it, do, it shouldn't be analyzed. He came from such poverty, and he uh, participated in starting a school, don't question anything. And me as a journalist, again, and, and we live in a society that has no respect for journalism, doesn't care about the tenets taught in journalism, and I'm talking about journalists or alleged journalists don't care about journalism. But I was taught, hey, if your mother says she loves you, get a second opinion. <laughs> so I That's believe true. in questioning everything. <laughs> That's what journalism is. Everybody else, the whole society as a whole, and including journalists, there are people that we elect, we decide that person can't be questioned. And I think for someone like LeBron, who is the most important athlete of his generation, of course we should question him. He has immense power. And so this is where, you know, I get at odds with people. Oh, what's Whitlock doing? Oh, my God, he's, he's questioning LeBron. And he's trying to explore yeah. and analyze him. Oh, this is crazy. How yeah. can he say these things? And yeah, you're, ba- just, you're basically the guy who shot Gandhi, but go ahead. <laughs> yes. And I'm just <laughs> LeBron's not Gandhi. He's, to me, hey, he You has, haven't asked him that. Yeah, he's lurched into being a very spoiled, privileged. He does a television show, Mike, where no one ever questions him. Everybody just applauds whatever he said. And they, oh, it's the barbershop show, the shop. I've never been in a barbershop where where there isn't heated disagreement on, on virtually any important topic. But LeBron has a show where he sits there and everybody genuflects at anything he says. Well, and, so I'm, glad, I'm just glad they brought John Stewart in there to make sure that yeah. that, that, that whole thing is right. <laughs> so I, I just because I've always get, seen John Stewart in the barbershops I've gone to. Uh, no, I, I I get what you're saying. Look, can you say anything good about LeBron today? Anything? Can I say anything good about LeBron? I say plenty good about LeBron when when he's playing well. I applaud with I applauded him starting the school or whatever. Uh, but, but Mike, right now, things aren't going well for LeBron on the basketball court. I think he came out to Hollywood and LA, uh, with in his primary focus is in basketball. And I've been talking about that since the beginning of the season, since he moved to LA, I've been proven right. Again, I'm going to evaluate and talk about LeBron as things occur, because but I'm not going like to. Like let go me ahead. say. Let me just say. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for it because, again, when things were going uh, poorly for Maverick Carter and the group around LeBron, I was the same guy that went in when nobody would touch Maverick Carter. No one would say a positive word about him. I go spend a week with him and write 
a profile piece that lended this guy his only credibility at the time. And so I'm just going to react to what's going on at the current time. But 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 go ahead. No, I was going to say that, and I'm sure we're not, we're not the only news organization that showed hypocrisy in this. I look, I go back to that, the LeBron project. And the thought was, he's not, he's not trying to be Michael Jordan. And that's a good thing. Like there was a thought that if he was going to be something bigger than basketball and he was trying to get there, that that was supposedly a good thing for us to cover, for us to report. And, and, and now there's this sort of, you know, what are you doing? What are you thinking, man? You, you, you obviously don't know uh, basketball. You wouldn't have come to the Lakers. You're, you're obviously not trying to be the greatest player of all time. That this is this is just to be closer to your film production company and everybody that's out here. Um, I I don't know. I, I there there seems to be a hypocrisy there that we wanted him to be this guy, but now he's trying to be and he's not kind of getting there. And we're saying to ourselves, all right, why don't you just go back to basketball and try to be my try to beat Michael Jordan? Right? Why don't you do that? Because because obviously you you, you playing Cal, Colin Kaepernick is not working for you. And it didn't work for Kaepernick either. But, Mike, what, what I would say is that might be my conclusion. And mm-hmm. it, it, it is where I've moved to in 2019 in terms of the environment and the amount of money, celebrity, fame, social media has perhaps changed the environment and the construct to the degree that we shouldn't look for athletes to be leaders in these types of endeavors. Okay. That may be my overall point. That that may be where I've been led to over the years, that the environment, American society, and the amount of money, wealth, fame, fortune, delusion we feed athletes, and their disconnect from the very communities they come from, they all move out to gated communities, blah, blah, that we perhaps we should quit looking for the next Muhammad Ali. There will never be another one. Okay, that's a ta- that's a good Fox Sports take right there. You need to put that into the show. No, 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 no. But but again, why are you trying to diminish it by saying no, that's a good Fox saying, Sports I, take? You you looked at that as snark. I thought that I thought that's a speak for yourself segment right there. I really do. My I guess my only thing is, do you really want do you really want to go back to Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods? And the notion that uh, let, let's stroke a check and open a center again, for, uh, you, but I'm not going to stand for anything except my corporate interests. Mike, I'm not going to put. I'm not saying this to put you on the defensive, but for me as a black person, this is like a real life issue, and so I want people that are effective. It's not a game to me. It's not a little toy. Like, well, I want them to do it so I can write about it and talk about it. As a black person, I'm sitting there saying, is this effective or not? And so I and if it's ineffective, I want us to move away from it. Hmm. Yes. And so I get as and and again, I'm not trying to put you on the defensive, but I get others that are not black. Hey, this is fun. This makes us important. When they try to be Muhammad Ali, it elevates my status as a sports writer and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, just like every black person isn't monolithic in America, every white person isn't. I would think that a lot of people 
uh, I would hope that people in my life would call me a well-intentioned white person that tried to strive for all the good things that, that lead to equality and whatnot. I just can't buy the argument that, oh, let's just take LeBron James out of the, out of the, out of the uh, equation. Garrett Temple makes a hell of a lot of money. He's not oh. divorced from his community. Garrett Temple makes a hell of a lot of money. He's a millionaire beyond, you know, he, he got serious money from the Sacramento Kings when he left the Wizards. This dude helped facilitate a conversation between law enforcement and the black community after after the shooting of Stephon Clark in Sacramento. I had him on for an hour a few weeks ago. I mean, that man talking about more things than basketball and what and how thoughtful they were. All I got, all I got, I got off the podcast and think, why did I even ask him one question about basketball? I mean, so I, that part of it is, I guess if you, you want to put LeBron James in that category and say he, he has no clue and he shouldn't be a spokesman and we shouldn't look at him as Muhammad Ali. I think there's guys who have potential if they're not LeBron James. And, and Mike, I, I get we're sports writers. And, and I appreciate what you're saying about Garrett Temple and you had him on and, and, I get it. We're sports writers, and we're looking for athletes or whatever. But just me, I'm going to step away from being a sports writer and just say there are – because here's what white people do is – What does this have uh, to do with black and white? I'm, I'm sorry. Well, cause I, because as a black person, we have an economic gap, an education gap, a bunch Agreed. of things that, that, that we're trying to make – ground on and so sometimes i'll look at asian people or white people and say well what are they doing and is it more effective than what we're doing and so i keep saying to the athletes now that you've become these great earners perhaps your role rather than trying to be a public intellectual or a thought leader perhaps your role is to identify experts that you believe in and support them rather than trying to be the face of it, rather than trying to be the Muhammad mm -hmm. Ali, why not be, uh, for lack of a better, why not be the multimillionaire behind the scenes who is supporting a leader, a politician or whatever that you believe in that reflects your values, who can focus on this full time? Sure. Because that's what other races do. As a white sports writer, you're not looking for Tom Brady or anybody else, any other white athlete, to be a spokesman. You're not going to bring them on to your pocket. Maybe J.J. Watt or whatever to talk about raising money for uh, hurricane survivors or whatever. But, but for the most part, we Wrong. don't put this burden on white athletes. Wrong. I, I mean, you you could speak as general, but that's wrong. Uh, and you, I, I like the whole thing. What athlete are we? What white athlete are we putting this burden on? I mean, I mean, anybody that wants to, anybody that has the ball, anybody that has the balls to stick themselves out there, like Chris Long. I mean, if if if, if, if the problem with this country is in, in 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 regard to athletes and social consciences, the only people who give a shit is are black athletes. If if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady had the balls to stand up on the ESPN stage and talk about the shootings in America, like Carmelo Anthony and that crew did, well, hold, hold on, like, like hold I, on, I, I'd have hold. a lot more respect for him. Hold, hold on, Mike. I think you're saying that if they agreed with you. Because, look, well, look, whether we like it or not, Kurt Schilling has a lot of political beliefs. 
Oh, I'm fine are you with bringing that. him on? Yeah. Are you bringing him on though look, to talk about his political beliefs? Well, look, Kurt Schilling is a bad analogy because he he is he, they're in thoughtful political beliefs. He's a right wing. Uh, wha- he's a right wing whack job. You know who's not a right wing uh, whack job, uh, Matt? You know who's not a right wing whack job, Matt Burke. Uh, I mean, he's, he's very conservative. Matt Burke, the former Raven Center, didn't go to. Are you bringing him on? Didn't go. To, yeah, I'll bring him on in a heartbeat. Uh, if it was not a Pure Hoops Media podcast, it was the Pure Hoops NFL podcast. Uh, but but here's the deal: Matt Burke didn't go to um, didn't go to Obama's uh, celebration of the Ravens in 2013 because he's a pro-life Catholic activist, and he couldn't get in the same room with the person who's and still other than you talking about choice. it right now on this podcast. How no, seriously, Mike? I, and I get the semantical game, but and this is a nice little. I pulled a one a rabbit out of a hat, but Matt Burke and the, there's and maybe the reason why the white guys that think like Matt Burke tend to be more silent is because they don't want to deal with the heat they would catch if they did stand out there oh, we, and we, espouse their views. We completely agree on that. I, I think Spencer Haas is uh, apparently very conservative, of this, the, uh, the reserve center. Um, shoot, yeah, anytime somebody says something, anybody wears some, uh, a MAGA hat around, uh, they're all, you know, MAGA hat is now um, basically a, you know, a symbol for racism in America. And, and this, the fact of the matter is, a lot of people wear that hat and aren't racist. So, so let's be clear. I would just go, you know, with the whole LBJ. Don't look, L, you know, LeBron James did that with Hillary. He, you know, he went to that next level. And said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna support Hillary. You know, uh, and yeah. so I, I, you know, do, let's let's go to this. Do you regret anything said critical about LeBron James that you, you know, you think to yourself, eh, I went too far here there? No, not not really. I mean, I, <laughs> not really, because again, I I mostly, again, we, we do a thing on the show called an approval rating at the end, right. and mostly I approve of LeBron James, right. uh, but uh, you know, in terms of of do I have some criticisms of virtually everybody, including myself, and yeah. I'm a critic, and that's. That's my job. You know, that's what I've been doing since 1994 is offering criticism. And, <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. That's my job. Yeah. Well, there's one thing you and I will agree to disagree on. And and I'm not going to get as over the top uh, as some people did when they when they went off on you and you went back at them. But I thought, you know, the racist vandalism that, that happened to LeBron James at his Brentwood home, the N-word sprayed across his gate. Uh, you called a disrespectful inconvenience, and he'd fallen into the, and you know, who you had said at that time he'd fallen into the far left trap of there's value in embracing your victimhood, and and especially I thought racism. You said racism is is an issue in America, but is primarily an issue for the poor. It's not LeBron James's issue. He has removed himself from the damages and the ravages of real racism. Do you think you've? I mean, you're done pretty well for yourself. Do you believe that for yourself that that mm-hmm. that people actually? People do not. Um, the racism does not affect Jason Williams. Uh, I'm sorry, Jason Whitlock. Even though you know damn well some of the ugliest Twitter responses and and emails you've gotten over your career uh, went to your color of your skin before they did to the content of your words or your commentary. Yeah, I, I think that all of that 
has had no impact on my career. I, tweets, bad letters, things like that. Not your career. On you, you don't think you've you don't think any of that has been internalized. I don't I don't I don't buy that. You're you're out of racism's reach uh, because you've you know you're a multimillionaire. I I just don't I can't see that. Again, in terms of impact, can racism hurt LeBron's feelings? Yes, yes. it can hurt his feelings, but. <laughs> Any kind of his wife cheating on him can hurt his feelings. A guy cutting him off in traffic and giving him the finger, whether black or white, can hurt his feelings. Again, I, and this is where you and I disagree, and this is where I disagree with the mainstream media. Is I don't have white people up on such a pedestal that their actions towards me have some sort of magical power, and I'm talking about <laughs> particularly their verbal or disrespect, has some sort of magical power where I melt and just, oh, my God, no. someone called me a name. I just don't. And that disappoints a lot of white people because I think they think they have a magical power over us and they can control our emotions. I, it just doesn't move me that way. And so when, when I hear the story of LeBron's Brentwood home when he's in Ohio, his family's not there, when I hear something was spray-painted on his garage and removed before the police even get there to investigate, I don't, and LeBron has a press conference where he analogizes himself to Emmett Till's mother. I think that's preposterous. That is ridiculous. He wasn't there. He didn't see it. It was removed before the police got there, if you believe their story. This is in no way analogous to Emmett Till's mother. And this had no impact on LeBron. None. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I, he, wasn't say, he never said he was Emmett Till's mother for factual purposes. Mike, we can. I'm, I can well, we'll look at the, right in front of me. You, I can look it up right now. Where we'll said, at, I'm just letting it out there, like Emmett Till's mother. But I know for a fact that he put himself in some regards in the same category as Emmett Till's mother. Yes, he did. Well, I wrote a column about it. I'll give you the exact quote: "Hate in America, especially for African Americans, is living every day." Um, and even though it's concealed most of the time, we know people hide their faces and will say things about you when they see that smile on your face. It's alive every single day. I think back to Emmett Till's mom, actually, and the reason that she had an open casket is because she wanted to show the world that what her son went through as far as a hate crime and being black in America. No matter how much money you have, no matter how famous you are, no matter how many people admire you, being black in America is tough. We got a long way to go for a society and for us as African-Americans until we feel equal in America. I don't disagree with any of that. I don't think he said, I'm Emmett Till's mom. I, but, but I know what you're saying. Even bringing Emmett Till in, it's such a, it's a, um, it's what do you call? It's, it, it, it's one of the, the ugliest um, lynchings in, in American society. And it happened to a young boy who happened to look at a white girl and, 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 and spraying on somebody's, uh, spraying the N-word on somebody's gate in Brentwood, $20 million home, is not that. 
but he's saying nobody's immune to it in this day and age. I uh, I can't immune I can't, to what having your son murdered in a racist fashion. No immune to no immune to being feeling less than you are because of your skin color. And oh, I will never you. go into and a you know restaurant. who's in control of how you feel. You. Uh, Not, I, uh, so uh, again, is, Mike, Mike, I get it, because that's what I stated at the beginning. I know that white people feel like they have this magical power that they're in control of our feelings. I reject that completely. But you're right. You're not you're, in, control you're in control of my control feelings. Of your, you're in control of your feelings. Why is it? I don't think it's a bad thing if you internalize that someone thinks less of you. I don't, you know, like, I don't, that's not empathy. You don't that's think not it's compassion. a bad thing if I internalize that white people feel that I'm less than them. Just, I don't think. I want you to think that through. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, if you don't, if you don't feel anything from that and you let it go off your shoulders and you, what I want to say, brush that dirt off your shoulders, like our favorite rapper, Hova. Um, if we don't, it, that's a nice way to go about life and God bless you for doing it because it's got, it's got you where you are, but I can't, uh, I can't hate on anybody or, or look down on them for feeling crappy because someone wrote N I G G E R on their freaking fence. Mike, I'll say this. If we knew for a fact that it was a white person the KKK perhaps, or just some racist white person, I'd be all the, we don't even know who wrote it on his fence. (laughs) You know who uses the N word constantly? (laughs) Us. You know, that's a different, you you know where I'm at. No, 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 no. because again, Mike, I'm just telling you, because I got this from my father who, who had a lot of things done to him at an early age that made him very bigoted. He lived in a black environment. He did business in a black environment. He built a home in the black environment. He, be, uh, <laughs> he, he left his job because they complained that he was reading an a autobiography of Malcolm X. And he, he created a world for him that he didn't have to worry about what white people thought because he didn't want to waste any energy doing that. And he had a very good life here in America. And to sit... And to tell black people or to encourage black people to sit around and worry about, oh, my God, white people think this or that about I'm you. not saying black. I'm not saying black people have to feel that way. I feel that way. I don't, it bothers me. And that's I, it your me problem. It's a, it, it, it shouldn't be ours. No, you're right. I'm fine with that. But I'm not going to I'm not going to look down on anybody. I don't. I, you're right. I mean, there's like if 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 the standard is. That LeBron James worth a half billion dollars. If the st- oh my God, something I didn't see and was removed within an hour or two before the police could even get there. If that can ruin LeBron James's day, what's the message to the black kid in the hood? What's the message to the black kids that have far less than LeBron? If message, a white the- person says anything to you or does anything to you, melt, cry wallowing no. your victimhood. And no. all I'm saying is, nah, man, keep it moving. No. Don't even worry about the unimportant. The person that's coming at you in that disrespectful fashion is telling on themselves about how they feel about themselves. They're already letting you know they're less than you. That's no. all my point of view is. Okay, that's, that's, 
that's your point of view. And I and we we agree to disagree on that because yes. I see a kid in the hood saying, damn, this happened it can happen to LeBron James. You know, not only I do I need no to steal not, in this country. No, no, if not only do I need to, to LeBron steal. James, my God. No, not <laughs> not only LeBron do I need James to James can be called a name. Mike Wise, you can be called a name. Oh, I and am. I guarantee tell, tell me, your I, parents. I, every... I guarantee your parents are sitting there. Oh my God! Well, they called Bill Clinton a name, Mike. <laughs> they wrote no, something. My, on my, Bill. You, you, you're, you, my God, Mike! It could happen to you. Well, my you parents could be called are, a name. My parents are gone, but they called me a lot of names when they were alive, and my wife calls me a lot of names still. So I don't. That doesn't bother me. I'm just saying we just come from two different uh, lines of thinking on this. Full stop. I saw you analogized the bad boys, Isaiah and Chuck Daly, to Belichick and Brady. I thought it was great. A great analogy. Having Isaiah on the, on the podcast last week for one of the best hours I've ever had, he, I mean, he, he really went into, and I, the one thing I wished I would have asked him is, I understand that gone are the days of Isaiah, Larry, Magic, shoot, um, even Kobe, playing Dirk Nowitzki playing for the same organization for their entire careers. There was something loyal about that. Athletes do have more power now. I don't have a problem with it, but uh, you made a good point. I thought the other day on your show, which was the, the fans are allowed to, to also uh, be, you know, go up against that and essentially clap back and say, wait, how are we supposed to get invested in somebody? You're leaving every day to play with your friends. I mean, I think there's something to be said for that, and I don't, I don't know if that's going to change. I don't know if it, I don't think it's going to ruin the NBA because ratings are up, and clearly, no ratings are not up this year. But go ahead. Don't let the facts get in the way of my opinion. Yeah, okay? I'm, I'm trying to. <laughs> this is a freaking serious podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, but <laughs> no, but there's still, there's still a uh, the the Warriors have become, I guess, what Shaq and Kobe and the Heat and a little bit how the Michael and the Bulls became before they're that they're that death star team. I think that's going to go away when Kevin Durant leaves this off season. And it'd be interesting to see what the NBA becomes. But the bottom line is, is uh, you know, there is no loyalty and there never was from ownership side either. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, you know, I think there's a compromise here. I, I don't know if you can have a compromise. When you say no loyalty from ownership, define that for me. I'm saying that anybody and their mom can be moved any day. That the idea that somehow you're a tried and true Celtic, Laker, Nick, Wizard, you know, it, like everybody says they want to keep you forever until the day they don't. You know, and that's uh, that's their prerogative. They're, they they run the business, you're their employee, but let's not pretend there's only 30 teams in the league. Uh, there's only 30 different places that, you can that, go. That, it's that, pretty that, much a monopoly. True. And I mean, I think IT what happened to him in Boston is kind of sad and tragic. And he, you know, went out there and played when he shouldn't have, and it screwed up his career. Uh, I, I get that. But overall, I think when you talk about NBA ownership or whatever, the most loyal thing you can do in sports is guarantee a guy's contract. And, you know, I, I think the NBA basically promises you three, four, five-year contract and you're going to get this money you'll be in our league or you'll get this money whether or not you get to remain on the team or not the 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 ownership and the executives and coach 
in my view, in a properly running league, they should be in total control of that. That's what's best for the business. I I personally bristle, and you know how many times I've defended you when I whether it's somebody on Twitter or elsewhere saying uh, Jason Whitlock he don't he don't care but he, he wants to go in on every black athlete and the first thing I say is well, hold on J- Jason Whitlock is a equal opportunity evisceration person <laughs> he will go off on anybody if he doesn't agree with him but two does that bother you that sort of because you've questioned what I would call prominent black athletes, prominent black journalists, that somehow you, 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 you're equated with um, Uncle Tom and everything that's uh, the worst thing you can say about a black person that doesn't stand up for his own race. As it relates to, you know, the misperceptions about me, uh, there's virtually nothing you can do about them because I'm a journalist and I'm always going to be a journalist. People, this era of American society, hates journalism, and that's why we have nothing but advocacy journalism. Uh, And so it's like I'm a critic, and it's funny. It's like I tell people all the time, like, uh, yeah, you know, you made your name blasting uh, black athletes. I was like, no, man, I made my name blasting Marty Schottenheimer and Carl Peterson and them folks back in Kansas City, the people that ran the Kansas City Royals, blah, blah, blah. That's how I made my name. I'm a critic, and I'm a journalist that questions everything. And so now you move me to a national job at ESPN or Fox Sports where basically the conversation narrows down to the NBA and NFL. Those are the national topics, and – 75, 80% of the NBA is black. 70% of the NFL is black. Who else am I going to be talking about? <laughs> I, don't yeah. I don't know. And, you know, it's comical. It's like, does no when I spend three straight days ripping into Ben Roethlisberger and calling him a bad leader, and I was doing this back early in this season, got on the narrative like, hey, Ben's a problem. He's a bad leader. Everybody ignores all that, and just uh, that's nothing. I spent the entire offseason last year ripping Bill Belichick because I didn't like that he benched Malcolm Butler. Everybody ignores that. It's just, uh, oh, Whitlock's only critical of LeBron James. Well, See, that's, you know. And that's something that I never have to deal with. I mean, if, if, if the only time I, I – yeah, sure, I get called a racist if I go too far in on somebody black that's popular, but – that's that's par for any course, but I never have to deal with uh, uh, just like, you know, the, the idea that there, there's a mass shooter out there and um, black people, if it if it happens to be African-American, they're like, oh, no, people are going to start thinking we're shooting up. White people never do that. We just go. We just go. Oh, no, that guy's a sicko. What a warrior. And and I think that's something that, you know, talk about white privilege. There it is right there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, white people, I think, have the advantage that they can criticize and analyze themselves. Yep. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of pressure on black people not to be uh, self-critical, not to question anything that we're doing. Uh, <laughs> and that's inappropriate and is, is against growth and evolution. 
so much more I want to talk to about Jason Whitlock. I'm going to have him back on the program. I want. I, I had the pleasure of going to the Masterpiece Lounge, his father's bar, um, once, and um, of course, other white people were in there, so we felt safe. No, I'm, uh, uh, but no, I thought it was, it was during Super Bowl week, a long time ago. Um, I, you know, Are you I, sure I, that was Super Bowl week? Yes, it was. It was. It was Patriots. You sure, it wasn't Gi- Final Four. No, it was Patriots Giants. Uh, huh. Super Bowl because because you gave me and my best friend from um, back in the day a ride back to the hotel and um, the and so at any rate um, yeah it was it was a while back I want to talk to you about journalism more because you and I don't agree on everything but we certainly agree on some frauds out there and I'd like to go into them and um, <laughs> and I uh, you know and I just like the, authentic- in the crosshairs huh Mike. <laughs> Well, who cares? I mean, the one no, thing, you know, I definitely don't. Yeah, exactly. And you're um, you're in a good situation now. You're happier. Um, I'm in a I'm in a fairly good situation. I'm happier, but poorer. And I and I I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for uh, thank you for being you. And I appreciate the back and forth. Yeah, I, I'll be interested, Mike, how people uh, receive this. Uh, Generally speaking, our conversations, I got to be honest, haven't nearly been as adversarial as this one, uh, which kind of surprised me, but I thought it was good. Welcome back to the Mike Wise Show, formerly the Wise-Ass Show. Can you believe, Monica McNutt, they had to change the title of it because tr- Twitter would not accept advertising for the word ass? I mean, Twitter. Oh, wow. Wow. Twitter. Look at that standard. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They don't have any other ones, but apparently that one they do. (laughs) I mean, jeez. But anyway, uh, Monica is, well, I'll I'll just say it out loud. She's a former Georgetown player who was um, number 20 in your program and number one in your heart. Love that. (laughs) Like that. And, uh, And now she's moved on into journalism and broadcasting and I feel like she was even in that when she was playing because I distinctly remember her out at some charity golf tournament sitting in a golf cart and just going <laughs> off on 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 the Georgetown men and about what they need. And when I'm going, my goodness, this woman's opinionated. And oh wait, she's she's a very good she's a very good critic who just happens to be a woman. And so mm-hmm. at any rate, I'm I'm very excited to say that April 11th, your show, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, will debut. At Pure Hoops Media, all of us are pumped. Not just because, um, not just because we actually have someone who knows what they're talking about during colleges and everything else. But you're the only person who's really got game on the network besides B.J. Armstrong. So I hope that Noah Kozlov is listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, I love the title: Bucket Sports and Blocks. Now that um, now that Lavar Ball, uh, Lonzo Ball, has parted ways with the co-founder of Triple B brand, you are the new Triple B brand, the original Triple B brand. The the timing could not be better as far as the podcast rolling out, but Mike, I am super excited to join the Pure Hoops crew. Um, I just can't wait to get into these conversations with some people that we all admire, look up to, maybe don't always agree with in the world of hoops, but I think hoop heads, we can take these conversations a number of different ways. I also, yeah, yeah go ahead. It brought so many warms and warm and fuzzies to my heart that you remembered our conversation at the golf tournament. I remember telling my dad, like, I had a long conversation with Mike Wise. We had a good talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I when 
when people were asking around for, hey, do you got, do you know any, because uh, we, look, let's be honest, we didn't have, we didn't have a single person who, of uh, the female gender on the, on the podcast. And at some point, it's like, if, if you don't have that, I mean, shoot, some of the best play-by-play and analysts, women mm-hmm. in the business now happen to be women. And we're finally realizing that. And so at any rate, I was, I was very happy. Um, I was very happy to recommend you. And also like tell people what you're going to be talking about, because well, I'll have a guest on every week and we'll, we could go three different ways, but it'll be sort of like basketball would be used as a window into it, especially the NBA. I want to hear what Monica McNutt is really going to delve into. And, and when I say, you know, flesh out things that she really wants to talk about, um, the, the game, the issues around them. What, give me a, give me a little, give me a little bit of preview. So what I'm super excited about, Mike, is that is still kind of open-ended, but I know that as Bruce Bernstein and I, one of our lovely producers with Pure Hoops, um, discussed the topic, I didn't want to make it too Oprah, but honestly, I thought about sort of the alignment of sports and like life, right? Like we all have our buckets, moments that we're super proud of. We all have our boards when we've had to rebound from different circumstances, and we've certainly all had our share of blocks. Now that can translate into, like you said, the issues around the game. Maybe I get an opportunity to talk to someone out of our DC area that I'm super proud of and they get to share their personal journey. But I hope to I hope that we get an opportunity to talk with folks that are showing us how the game has taught them about life. You know what I mean? I think mm. one thing I will give us in twenty nineteen, as much as we've got crazy things flying around um in our world today, I do think that we are more willing to kind of step back and be a little bit more mindful. Um, of perspective and where people come from and how they came to be who they are. And while basketball is incredible, and I love the way that it's growing globally, particularly in the NBA, um, it can certainly serve as a unifying element. But I think everyone's path to the game is different. And for us to negate people as human beings, because we just see them as athletes or we see them as reporters, is to do ourselves a disservice, because I think dialogue is one of the most powerful things that we can share. And so I'm just thrilled to use that round ball as the jumping off point and kind of see where it takes us. This is all great and good. And it sounds like you're going to better the world. Now I want all the dirt about the Georgetown program. Woo, Mike, you know, I still, I still bleed blue and gray. I can't get into that. I know, I know. But you know, like, George, the, the great thing about like just knowing you in DC and knowing all the stories we have in common is God, like the, the Hilltop has so many great, incredible historic moments, just like this week, alone i was reminding one that i completely forgot about do you, you remember um you know the name rayful edmund i do uh-huh yeah he's the drug kingpin of new york he's essentially the the denzel washington character in american gangster the frank lucas where he was uh many bodies went down because of him he was essentially the biggest name in crack cocaine and he also had a friendship with a guy named john turner a, f- a former georgetown player who had befriended alonzo and there was this moment back in the day when big John Thompson uh, knew of this and basically said, you know, I guess sent, sent word out that he wanted Rayful Edmond, the drug kingpin, to come by his office. And in fact, he did. And John Thompson, in no uncertain terms, said, look, you can do what you want out there, but you got to stay away from my players. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and that's like part of the legend. I mean, that's part of the mm-hmm. You talk about a man who uh not just a hero in black washington but a but a hero to every person in america in some ways standing up to a drug dealer at that time and ensuring that his players were uh you know were untouched by not only controversy but things that could end their life at that age 
Yeah, I mean, Big John is incredible. And I think, I'll be honest, my, part of the reason that I ended up at Georgetown was because during my recruiting visit, I went and I met him and I sat in his office. And he asked me what I wanted to do. He asked me what I wanted to be a part of. And at that point, Maryland was just coming off of their women's national title. And I've been loosely recruited by Maryland and other programs that were pretty notable. But I remember telling him that I wanted to have my name be a part of a program. And that's why I went to Georgetown. He said, you know, if, if you work hard, I don't see why that can't happen. Now, a little bit before that, I didn't realize that I had been trained and sort of groomed toward Georgetown via my parents. Because my dad, just like you, was in awe of Thompson in his heyday. Um, one of my uncles actually played for him. And so for me, meeting John Thompson in person was like, wow, like this is the person that my dad admires so much. And so I do not regret my decision to go to Georgetown. In fact, it was one of the best decisions that I ever made. But for John Thompson, not only to be who he was at his prime, but also to come in and to our practices and sit in the gym with us and come watch games with us and encourage us through our run and just be the tangible person. I mean, I got a chance to catch up with him at the Big East Tournament in New York a week ago. Like he still is very invested in who we are too. So that is just so, so cool. And I am so mm-hmm. appreciative of him. I'm talking with Monica McNutt, the newest member of the Pure Hoops Media Gang. She'll be debuting Buckets, Boards, and Blocks April 11th. I'm very much looking forward to it. Before I let you go, I believe you went to the tournament with Georgetown, didn't you? I did. We went to our claim to fame was the Sweet 16 and lost to UConn by six in Philly. Yeah, and that was and that, that was a, that must have just been a like talk about the the pinnacle of one's career if you're not going to the WNBA or playing in Europe like that that just getting into the tournament I must and especially with an, with a um with a school that wasn't a perennial powerhouse at all right yep yep I mean, I mean for me Mike it was exactly what I wanted in terms of recruiting I wanted my name to be a part of the history books and mm. until um the girls started extending their seasons and postseason became a thing for a stretch I actually held the record for most games played um, I think Ruby Lee knocked me off. My point guard knocked me out. But that was it, right? My <laughs> freshman year, there was no tournament. My sophomore year was NIT. My junior and senior year was a C-16, and then we made some real noise in my senior season. So I got everything that I wanted. I will forever bleed blue and gray. It's interesting for me because I did go to Maryland to get my graduate degree. Um, but I remember the beef between those two universities. So I always root for Georgetown, who's first. <laughs> so, uh, and lastly, who is going to win the men's tournament and who is going to win the women's tournament? It, because I want to, I want to put you on the spot on April 11th when it's all over. Um, I have been rolling with Gonzaga and Virginia to my national title game. Okay. Um, I'm leaning toward Gonzaga. I think this is a, one of those years where we probably didn't pay the West Coast enough attention. Boom, shakalaka. I love the Zags. I, I mean, okay, so boom, you're with it. I agree with you. Yeah. But I don't know. I just think nationally they, they're on the West Coast. Like, they don't get what they sort of deserve. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm leaning toward Gonzaga. On the women's side, I think Mississippi State is a team of destiny. I just – I really feel that. I had a game um, for the SEC Big 12 Challenge for Fox early in the year. Uh, Vic Schaefer is just tremendous. Like, you talk about wanting to just sit up and let somebody talk about basketball and not move. And he's got that southern draw that just lulls you to sleep. Tara McCowan has been incredible. Anriel Howard, you talk about bounce in terms of an athlete. Woo! Um, I think Mississippi State is a team of destiny. It's their year. Mississippi State is a team of destiny. It's their year. Wow. That that just blew me away. Not that I thought that Connecticut was going to go there. Not that I thought that Maryland had a chance. I was leaning toward Notre Dame. I was was looking at Kim Mulkey, Baylor. Um, Any other dark horse out there? 
I don't know if you could call them dark horses. My whole theory on the Final Four is that it's the year of bigs that really dif- differentiate in the women's games. You got Tierra McCowan, um, Kalani Brown, and Lauren Cox at Baylor, Jess Shepard and Brianna Turner at Notre Dame, and then I think my fourth is Megan Gustafson at Iowa. And these are bigs that are just game changers on the women's side. Um, I guess Maryland would be my dark horse. I've been a fan of them this year, even in their hiccup moments. Um, and I'm a big fan of Brenda Freeze. Taylor Childs is tremendous. She's also a DMD girl to, through and through. Um, okay. Taylor Mike Sell, Shakira Austin, they're all playing well. So Maryland would probably be my dark horse. And even wow. names you mentioned would not surprise me, though. I love Brenda Freeze. I'd be scared to play for her because I think at some point she would stomp her heel into my neck. I just feel <laughs> like that, that's, that's you know, it's, she's, she's so intense. I love she's it. absolutely though. intense. Yep. Yep. All right. All right. Well, there is a new there is a new triple B sheriff in town. Uh, move over LeVar, LeVar Staniel Lane Ball. Her name is <laughs> Monica McNutt. Boards, uh, buckets, boards, and blocks. It debuts 11, April 11th. Thank, thank you so much for coming on the program and not just pumping your stuff, but telling people who you are a little bit. I appreciate you having me, Wise. You know you're my guy. <laughs> thank you. I can't wait to see you at Capital One soon. That was dope. <laughs> Uh, I just want to thank everybody, especially Jason Whitlock, for agreeing with me over the last hour on everything. (laughs) Monica McNutt and, of course, Bruce Bernstein and Jeff Torini, who make this all happen at Pure Hoops Media. We'll see you next week. Take it easy. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates in Northbrook, Illinois.